Yep. We're back. That might have sound that sounded more like cannonball. <laughs> uh, inside jokes out of the gate, people. Yes, we're laughing. It's something that we were not recording. We're back for another episode of the Capital T, Capital H, Capital E Soccer Dad Pod. Um look, bottom line, today's episode is featuring a literal Mount Rushmore of St. Louis soccer, U.S. soccer. So it's going to be, as Jared would say, a flipping hammer time. Hammer. Uh, gentlemen, we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, a little dreary Monday here in the Lou. I got a case of the Mondays. A little bit. I, everybody does. I mean, I was kind of sitting here for a second hanging with you guys, thinking this is going to be cool. It's going to be fun. And Got some bad mojo in the room here. What's uh? How are we gonna flip this thing? Well, let, let's just get the bad mojo out of the way. It is we are recording on a historic anniversary. It's nine eleven, twenty twenty three. Twenty two years after nine eleven. It also happens to be Mandy's birthday. Oh, is it? Yep. So, so, wait, <laughs> so what part of the bad mojo is well, that? Just that I think anytime you think about that event, it's hard to get excited or you know, have positive feelings, but you know, what's even harder looking at social media today. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. I can't even like, it's like, it's given me such a Debbie downer of a, well, and it's, like, it's PTSD. Outlook. I mean, it's going back, you know, and, <sighs> but I think back to that day and I was a junior, no senior in college and it was Mandy's birthday and we weren't married yet. And she was living in an apartment. I was living near campus. And I drove and got her all kinds of little breakfast stuff and went to surprise her before she went off to class. And then I went to my internship. How many guys do you think Drury. she had to shuffle out of there before you got there? <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of hearts on wrist running down the this rear fire escape. So anyway, I'll let that one slide for a second. Uh, and then she'll kick your ass for that later. Um, and, and I went to my uh, internship at Drury University. And saw it. I saw the second one, and it just—that's what I think of every every time. You know. I, I was in the same city. I was in the same. I was yeah. going to class. I was eating breakfast. I remember watching it like jaw dropped. Yeah, I remember uh, we had a a meeting, and this kid had just rolled out of bed. It's like eleven o'clock in the morning on that day. <laughs> Rolls out of bed at Drury, comes into this meeting, has no yeah. clue yep. what has just happened. Yeah. And everybody was just somber. Somber. And he's like, what's going on? <laughs> no, it was uh, uh, clearly, obviously, one of those days that anybody that was around at the time and cognizant of what was going on will never, ever forget. Um, I kind of, me personally, I, I felt like I've been through two of those that stand out. And that would have been the uh, shuttle explosion. I was in, oh, yeah. thir I was in third grade. and they were first grade. Rolling the TV down on the cart, you know, on mm -hmm. the AV cart, and yeah. we're all standing in the hallway, everybody's wow. cheering, and then it goes up in smoke, and the teachers are like, let's okay. get back to the classroom, and then... Uh, we'll check on that later. And then 9-11. I mean, I was living in Chicago at the time, and knew immediately something was wrong, because I was watching Squawk Box in the morning, and they were showing the fire, the towers, and I had been there probably to New York, to that block two weeks earlier for... 
work training and I'm like, that, that's not a small fire, you know, just because the scale was still fresh in my head. Yep. And uh, by the time I got on the train, took the blue line uh, down to our office, which was right across the river from Sears Tower, go up in the elevator and there's nobody. I mean, it's ghost town already. Mm-hmm. And as I walked to the office, the uh, you know, glass windows all along the side, phew, here come these jets ripping through mm-hmm. and around downtown. It's like, what the hell? Wow. So I'll never forget that. So um, just one of those things to... Uh, you know, pay respect to pay respect. That's, well, it. that's all I, you can do. I, I, so I, the, the way I like to end this particular part of the conversation is just on the Jack Buck piece. I'll never forget his speech. And then he, he didn't last much longer than that, but Oh my God. It just, I think anybody who watched baseball at the time, I don't care if you're Cardinals, Cubs, Yankees, Dodgers, that was a pinnacle moment. Uh, I, I still gives me. Wow. Oh, see chills. what he did there. I, I see mean, what he did. I don't did. think he even meant to do that, but now it's kind of <clears throat> built in subconsciously into your head. You put the headphones on and you're thinking about pinnacle points all day long. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we would be remiss to, out of the gate, not thank our uh, supporters, our sponsors of the show, Crescent Plumbing Supply. Uh, they will help keep your kitchen and bath in line, refreshed, redone, or your new construction. They'll fill... Uh, your 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 house with all the new wish list items. Uh, Axis Physical Therapy, therapy AxisPT.com. <clears throat> For all of us with kids and even our own knocks and bruises, et cetera, uh, in Missouri especially, no more referral needed. So save that copay. Don't take such a hit on your high deductible plan out of the gate. Just hit them up, let them know what's going on, and they'll put a plan together for you. And then our buddies Chris and Bill over at the PinnacleLoans.com uh, continue to support the show, which brings us to the Pinnacle Points of the Day. A uh, lot of stuff going on. Which one of you guys are, uh, who's out of the gate? Jared, you, you, you look ready. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, my Pinnacle Point of the Day um, goes back to my alma mater. Um, the Missouri State Bears are off to a hot start in the men's soccer season early in, 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 in the season here. Um, they released a little bit of information on social media today, and I'm going to read it. They have the best overall record in Division I since 2019. Think about this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to precurse this with saying that even the coach in the organization, in the program, none of this matters because they want to have more success in the postseason. So, But these are some pretty in, uh, impressive numbers. Their overall record since 2019 is 62-6-7. Their winning percentage is 8-67, which is first in the nation. Their home record, 36-3-3. And their home winning percentage is 8-93, which is first in the nation. So you got to play who you're scheduled against. Um, Somebody might be rolling their eyes uh, listening to this saying, well, Let's tighten up the schedule since you have all that success. Let's let's branch out. Well, to open the season, they go on the road and play number 14 Maryland this year. So um, needless to say, they need to have some more. Um, they need to get hot when it counts down at the end of the year, and I think that's what their goal is, clearly. But those numbers, they aren't fake, and, and those are impressive numbers. I don't care who you are. Well, I think it's <clears throat> it's one of those things, and obviously you follow it closer than most for obvious reasons. Uh, you look at statistics like that, and they are extremely impressive. I think what you 
are kind of alluding to is there's a reality of the situation too. Statistics don't matter until you lift a cup, right? Mm -hmm. In one form or another. You're almost better off being a uh, 700 team or even a 600 team that is just playoff built. Right, you know, backing into the playoffs like the Cardinals have done in the past and going on those magical runs. Yeah. So, uh, however, in this day and age, with the level of quality that is that is D one soccer, not only you know within their conference, their conference isn't a top two three conference, but they're going out of conference playing top two three teams and winning. So kudos to them. And I will, I'll leave it. My, my point with this is just a little bit of another teaser. And part of the reason I brought the point up is um, our show, um, us three. Um, we will have some more news to come, some exciting guests that we're lining out. But we are going to be live. Um, and we won't show the air uh, or release the show live, but we will, we will air the show during the Missouri State SLU men's game down here at Herman, about five blocks from us because we're at the pitch today. Yep on Wednesday, September 27th. So I think um, for our fans, um, and thank you, um, that'll be a fun one. Yeah, yeah. To our fans, come see us, hang out, let's have beers. And oh, by the way, yep. SLU play Missouri State over the short shoulders, right? Yep. Yeah, and you, you can contrast what, what Missouri State's doing with the boys down in blue right down the street, and it's been a different experience for them Tough this year. year. And uh, I'm curious to see how they rebound and how they... they come back from that or, or how they how they face that up but i mean i don't know historically if that's a a significant loss to win ratio but i would imagine that's not something that coach kalish or the or the, the squad over there is looking uh real positively at yep yeah you got to play the What's, games uh, they're young yeah they're young yep what, what do you got zach um, point. mine is more about the u.s men's national team um they were here in st louis on saturday 4 p.m start and from I didn't get to go because I had tickets and had to watch my younger my my children play and I chose my children over watching Pulisic and Reem and Wea. Um and, and I, as did probably thousands Well that's of what I'm families. thinking. I mean there were tons of people. We were at Creefport and at Sportport during that time and there were thousands of people there that a lot of them probably would have loved to have gone and, and seen the A team play. You know, we had the gold cup um a couple months ago and I wouldn't say that was the A team, no. but, uh, and there was a good turnout, I think for that, but you know, people are complaining on social media about, uh, lackluster, whatever. And I like, you could have stopped there. People are complaining on social media. I know. I know. Period. And I, between nine 11, that game that you're going to talk more about. And, and then our men's St. Louis city game. I, I almost social media is almost like a no go for me today. It was not fun to go through that today. So let's, waiting through shit. Let's talk a little bit about City SC. That'll be my pinnacle point of the day here. I want to touch on uh, two, uh, well, just a couple points on them. So this is kind of pickle, pinnacle pinnacle points plural. Uh, we picked up the the point the tie out in LA last night, the Sunday night game, um, up. You go up, uh, go up to one, and then, you know, the uh, big Sam's handball, and then there's yellow card, then his second. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, they, 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 they botched the very end of the game, end up winning 2-2 or tying 2-2, walk out with a point. And you wake up Monday morning, and here's, here's where I'm at with this, guys. <clears throat> We're still in first place. We have games in hand, uh, even if LAFC – were to kind of catch up and win out, they still would be behind us by, I believe, two or three points 
uh, if my math's right. So the sky's not falling. Sky is definitely not falling. Uh, you had everybody back. Looks as if Nielsen, <laughs> who just came back, might have picked up a little bit of a groin last night. Uh, so that's... And was awkwardly grabbing at his knee at one point during that game, too, I think. Yeah, um, I, but, well, I think we're also, like, hyper-conditioned to watch players when they do these things because so much of the game, especially in the last third of a game, whenever it's a tense game, there's quote injuries right so you really don't know until you find out the truth Mm -hmm. so that's a little bit of concern but then you know the follow-up from the local community on socials just oh you know well we should have closed that game out and oh the it's not a handball and going back to the kansas city game and we should have got that handball and all this stuff and then one guy in particular was like well you know uh, I wouldn't be too happy that Sporting lost because uh, Inter Miami beat them, and we need to watch out for them. And I'm thinking, what? Inter Miami, yeah, yeah, uh, or Inter Miami won. Um, and and I'm trying to piece together what's this point. And it's like here we are, literally, you know, a good month and a half plus out from you know the playoffs coming to fruition. And look, clearly we're going to be getting in. Now our haters are like, oh. Not only do we have to like hate Sporting KC, but we really need to hate Inter Miami and make sure whoever they play wins, so we don't have to play mess. And I'm like, oh my god, bizarre take by that guy because we won't even see that guy until the greatest here's, scenario anyway. Here's yeah. the here's the bizarre <laughs> take and the point. There were a lot of people like, yeah, we you know we don't want Miami. And I, and I, my reply was simply, look, if we happen to make it all the way to the end, we I want Messi in that final because. It, is there any better way in the history of the MLS no. for an expansion team to potentially get to the championship game and then validate it with a win, a potential win over the world's greatest player ever? I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I, I would love want, it. Yeah, I would I, love I it. I do would like to talk about this because it, it drives me crazy. And it's, it's EPL, it's La Liga, it's now MLS the inconsistency on VAR with offsides and handballs. I don't get it. I know you put out something with, with our, our dear friend George Gansner this afternoon. He is on video kind of talking through the legalities, so to speak, from yeah. a, a referee standpoint. But, man, they have to – I would think that they'd have to look at that in the offseason and clarify some things because these are massive – Massive implications for the playoffs and for just the flow of the game. I mean, a, a one, two nil game, one goal, one way or the other has a massive impact. Yeah. And no, to say, well, the rest didn't blow it for us. No, I'm not saying that they did, but damn. Well, I'm at, has the, a huge I'm impact. at the point. My, my, my two cents on VAR is like, look, you got it, use it. Even if it's obvious that it doesn't really need to go to VAR, if you want to quell, just, just squash any type of like question mark that is going to arise and a potential press conference that's just going to blow up in your face, just go to VR. To so me, what? Just add the add To me, it seems simple. If it's a goal-scoring opportunity and there's a potential handball or potential offsides, VAR. No matter what the call was on the field. Well, I, you know, and the thing is, they, they're watching it the whole time. You know? I know. So just, just, just make the call. Go to the video. It is what it is. Um, so that's my... Little pinnacle points, plural, as I stated. Uh, City. At the end of the day, here's here's my other take on this thing. I I, I love where we're at right now. You know, we, we we're not carrying any major major injuries. We've got arguably two viable 
hardworking nines and Klaus and Sam, you know, firing. You got AZ doing things that he wasn't really expected to do, you know, at this level. Yeah. Um, our, Our seemingly maybe weak spot is the back line, but, you know, you got Berkey behind them, so... At some point, it's just not worth complaining. No, I'm not complaining about any of that stuff. It's just more the the holistic approach to the the officiating and choosing when and when not to invoke VAR. Invoke. I like that word too. That's a good one. Uh, Our listeners have waited long enough because they're all sitting there like, (laughs) get out of the way we are we are those truckers in the left lane with the governor on our motor with a 90 mile per hour 100 mile per hour uh muscle car coming up behind us we gotta get out of the way so our guests can come on yeah and i think he might have some opinions on some of our topics as well (laughs) you think he might have some opinions on (laughs) soccer stuff yeah maybe i wonder if it's just get rid of r in general except for goals and offsides i've thought about that for so long and in every sport any replay it's like, just so... You take the human aspect out of it. Yep. Uh, well, here's the problem, though. The production is so high level. It's so hard not to. And then they, everybody else does it anyway and reviews it and overanalyzes it. Yeah, then you're going to have everybody absolutely hating the league, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, so... But I, I, I don't... I, yeah. The technology's there. They might as well utilize it. They just got to get more efficient It's just in, in using it more, in yeah. my opinion. Agreed. All right, guys. The Soccer Dad Pod, really easy to find us on all fronts. Uh, really would love a uh, little support whenever you can. Shoot these episodes over to a friend that uh, needs some uh, soccer chatter in their ear holes. We would appreciate it. And when we come back from this break, we will have the Mr. Steve Ralston. Thank you. Remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Wentzville. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at ThePinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. 20 and 0 as freshmen? Really? Crescent Plumbing Supply helps save marriages. Really. As families grow, kitchen and bath needs change rapidly. Designing and choosing the right fixtures takes way more skill than just scrolling Pinterest. Staying on budget and avoiding those foreign language order sheets That's not easy. Lucky for you, the local team at Crescent Plumbing Supply, they are experts. They can help you ditch the baby's tub for a teenage shower and upsize that kitchen sink for all those tumblers, rosé glasses, and sports water bottles. So when you're ready for that kitchen or bath makeover, go to crescentsupply.com. That's crescentsupply.com. It's cheaper than a therapist. All right. Hello, fellas. I hope you brighten it up a little bit because our intro a little bit, it just, was, yeah. just a little somber. 
I mean, <laughs> most somber, I mean, but also cry baby pissy pants a little bit. No, not really. Yeah, good job, Zach. No, 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 no. <laughs> not cry baby pissy pants. And you know, I noticed what was off. We're usually in a place that has music. Yeah, and we're not. It, it is. I mean, look, this place is beautiful, and I really appreciate the fact that they open their doors um, and allow us to do this here. But when we get into this room back here uh, at the pitch yeah, at Union Station, you know, there's obviously, you know, uh, posters and just iconic references to St. Louis soccer all around us. It is quiet, though. It's, it's very, very quiet. And very we tend to be quiet. more shithousery. We feed off the energy of the room. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you, Pitch. We will come back. Yeah, we, we might will. be We might be uh, pumping music here uh, yeah. next time. Did you say so. references to St. Louis soccer? A few. Uh, Whoa. So what about the show today? Uh, what do you mean? A reference to St. Louis soccer. Oh, speaking of. Yeah, this dude's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we had to go to the south side, though. We did. We went South County, man. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've had, apparently we've had a little bit of an imbalance because I'm going to tell the story real quick as far as how we connected the dots to this uh, episode today. Um, I was taking care of my wife's um, uh, emotional state in moving our oldest son down to college for the first year. Yep. Uh, we were down on Broadway. I figured beer and whiskey and country music might help. <laughs> and I get a text message basically saying, uh, you know, I kind of want to take issue with this South County hack bullshit and uh, listening to the show. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, love to have, you know, love to talk about it. But I don't have your number. Who is this? And he's like, this is Steve Ralston. I said, okay, you're welcome on anytime. So and you, may you guys or may should not be saying that stuff. You may or may not have sent screenshots of that I'm like, instantly hey, to Jared and I. I did, because I'm like, are you guys okay with this? Um, and, and Steve, yeah. welcome to the show. They said yes. I appreciate that. Thanks for being on, guys. I'm a big fan of the show. Like I said, I've listened to to many of the, uh, the other guests and uh, helps me in my commute to get to work every day. Nice. Love Dude, that. How, how big is your ego right now, Jared? Uh, that's not Axis uh, does uh, eagle, uh, ego uh, rehabilitation. E ego therapy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they actually didn't pay us cash for this deal. We, yeah. we, we did it in kind. Therapy. So, <laughs> therapy. Yep. Ego reduction therapy? Yes. Well, Steve, um, again, thank you for joining us, man. We're really kind of uh, over the moon with this one because you, with your story, uh, what we know of it, what's out there, and then obviously... You know, the, your community here, a lot of the gentlemen that you know well, uh, both in the trenches and in the basement parties and on the field that uh, when they found out, I got a whole lot of questions texted to me. They're like, you you need to ask them about this. <laughs> so we're just gonna, we're going to clear the runway for you, though, because a lot of our listeners, they're familiar with the name. Uh, they have a lot of assumptions. But if you don't mind, just take a couple minutes here and Let's kind of paint that picture of the early days, you know, where you grew up, early club, uh, and then we'll move into the high school and, and uh, college years because that's a tremendous story. Okay. So I uh, grew up in, South, in like South City. So I played for my first team was CSMAC, Carondelet Sunday Morning Athletic Club. And then I think I was around 10 or 11, we moved out to uh, South County to Oakville. Um, and then I guess first select team was uh, Coke, Coke 74. And... <laughs> Had a really good little team for, for a number of years. And at some point, the coach, I think, just said, hey, listen, I've kind of taken you as far as I can. He had other things going on, his own kids and things he was dealing with. So we kind of disbanded, and, and the team broke up. I ended up going to Pico Flake. I played for Pico Flake for a couple of years. 
And then uh, I tried out for Bush, I think when I was like 15 or so, and I didn't make the team. So I ended up going to Scott Gallagher. And uh, what, do you remember over Bush who who cut you from that tryout? You I got, do. You got a name for us? Because the statute of limitations is up, but we definitely want to know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Vic Zarinelli. Oh, I bet he I bet he's lived that one down well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so when you go to Gallagher, who 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 do you go to at this point? Do you go to Tommy Howe? Is it or is that too early? No, I ended up with uh, Steve Fuchs and Steve Hunsaker. Okay. And uh, they were amazing. Like they were, they were perfect for me. Um, they were, uh, they were awesome. And then I ended up with Dan Gaffney as well. So I ended up playing up with the older guys. And Dan Gaffney was uh, was my coach there at Gallagher for, for my last couple of years. Okay. So, so you know the, the the age group that you're talking about. <clears throat> that's your freshman sophomore year of high school. At, at that point, you're already down uh, at Oakville. Um, talk about the relationship, uh, your relationship with the game, balancing between club and high school. How was your high school experience? Um, you know, and, and that 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 pendulum between club and high school. What did it mean for you in those years? Yeah, I mean, like high school years are they were fun. I had a good time. I was never. I mean, I played in the freshman team as a freshman. I played on the JV as a sophomore. I played in the varsity my junior and senior year. I think my junior year, I. I I played a few games where I started, uh, mostly coming off the bench. My senior year, I began the season as a starter. And a lot of people have heard the story that I didn't start for my high school team my senior year. I actually began the season as a starter. And I, I think I missed one game with like an ankle injury. And when I came back, I never started again. I came off the bench. I still think I was one of the leading scorers of the team, but um, wasn't getting recruited by a lot of schools. And I ended up uh, going to Forest Park uh, my freshman year. I think... Coming out of my senior year, I, I wanted to play at a Division One school. It's kind of the goal of mine was I wanted to play. I love the game, and I, um, I wanted to play in college, and I wanted to play at a Division One school. And I, I really wasn't getting recruited by by those sorts of schools at the time. So, so talk about that transition. Then you you've got a mindset, you've got a focus that you want to go play at at the Division One level. Um, the opportunities weren't at the door. Uh, you know, being from St. Louis, you had a unique benefit as it pertained to the junior college scene, uh, the quality of the teams, the coaching staffs. Uh, talk about your transition out of Oakville into JUCO. Uh, who, who'd you go to? Who's who's the coach? Talk about that environment a little bit. Yeah, I went to Forest Park and uh, had Pat McBride as my coach. Wow. And yeah, it was it was it was big time. He was he was fantastic. Had a great group of friends. Were also going there. It's part of the reason I went. Um, I knew I wanted, like I said, wanted to play somewhere um, bigger, and I felt that it was be a good stepping stone for me. And it was. Pat was. Pat helped me in so many ways, but I think what helped me tactically, you know, runs and things like that off the ball. But I think more so for me was more like the mental side of it and emotional. I was I was rather shy kid. I think probably didn't have a lot of self confidence, and I think at that time I was starting to mature physically. And I think having him um, really helped. I think that year, the following year, like everything started to click for me in, in the soccer ter- in soccer terms. So, Steve, would you say that you were kind of a late bloomer in the sport? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think physically, I was always a smaller kid. I was never super fast, but I think I was pretty quick and I was usually pretty fit. Um, but I think mental and just more like the confidence really and you know i think that was a, a big part of it for me was just the confidence in myself to go out there and, and play and, and believe that i could 
that was as good as anybody else out there. Yeah. The reason I asked that is there are a lot of kids that we, that we work with, that we hang out with, um, that are, are a little undersized for their age group and maybe not as physically adept as some of the other kids. <clears throat> and it's great to hear a story like yours where even through that, you were still able to find somebody like a Pat McBride who kind of kept pushing you or other teammates, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about that? Was it beyond Pat? How did you keep going? Was it your friends? Was it your family? What, what kept you moving forward in the game? Well, I think just number one, I loved the I wanted to play. So I continued to play because I love I love the sport. I love to get out there and compete. Um, pretty competitive person. So that my parents were always super supportive, my family. Um, and I just felt just really wanted to continue to grow and push myself to try to get better. Um, I, I would say the fact that there was a couple couple years, I think maybe under under nineteen, I guess, I played up a year. So I think it was myself, Matt McEwen and Mike Slavinsky, the three of us played up with the the older boys um, when you're older and they were really good. And I think that year of playing up, um, I kind of felt that, okay, I, I, I can play and I do, I do deserve to be here with these top players. And I think playing with those better players really helped me as well. So, so, so our listeners are clear that that first year under Pat at, at, um, at the JUCO, um, this is when you really started um, to really make national news with your playmaking abilities. Um, can you talk a little bit about your year? And and I believe if, if my facts are right, I mean, I think you led the nation in, in multiple scoring academy uh, uh, categories. Is that right? I'm not sure. I know I had a pretty decent year statistically. I've I, I made All-American. I don't know if I was where I was in the national scene um, where I ranked, but um, I had a good season. We had a good team that year. I think we went to the quarterfinals of the, of the, of the JUCO tournament. Uh, we lost to the eventual national champions 1-0. They got a bogus penalty kick, and they beat us 1-0, and they went on to win in the semis and the finals, I think, 5-3-0. and three, zero. So we were really close. We, we could have easily we competed, and, and we're right there for the national championship. Well, and I, what I want to do is just take a quick second, though, to put this in a frame of reference, because <clears throat> we're, we're taking this thing chronologically. Uh, and, for, you know, for so, again, there are listeners to the show that know the name, and now they're getting a piece of the story. But what I want to point out is, you, 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 when you retired from MLS, and we're going to come back and go over some of some of your career specifically, you led the league in games, minutes, and assists all time. So, and and then at the at the same time, and I'm checking my notes here, 36 caps at the same. So if we if we go to the end, you you left the game one of the best that ever played it in MLS. You 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 clearly are etched in a lot of notes at the U.S. national team level. So, you know, so many of the parents that are listening to the show and our kids and, you know, our peers and their kids, they're going through this process. And there's this fear of failure, fear of missing out, fear of making poor decisions at 13 and 14 and 15. Yet hearing your story and then fast forwarding to, you know, checking the boxes and reading the statistics, it's just an incredible story. Do you now, in the role that you're in, you know, you're so close to the game as an assistant out there in San Jose and, you know, just your experience. Do you ever look back at it and 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 say to yourself, like, damn, you know, that's that's not normal? Or are you where's the pride at in your own head when it comes to that reality of that path? I'm that I'm really curious to hear your take on that. Yeah. So I look at it more glass half full, like the sense because. I missed out on the World Cup. I got injured. I played 
all the qualifiers to leading up to 2006, right? I scored the winning goal against Mexico for us to qualify for the World Cup, and I end up not going. I've been to six MLS Cups, four as a player, two as a coach, and I've lost all of them. And I've, I was an alternate for the Olympic team. So I feel like I've had a lot of disappointment in my career, but I also look back and go, I didn't start for my high school soccer team my senior year. I was able to play for 15 years and play for the national team and do all these great things. So I look, I take the positive side out of it. I look and go, I was very, very fortunate to do something that I love to do every single day and got to do it with some great people, got to travel the world and uh, I, I wouldn't change it. Well, let me add, let me add a part B to the question and it's tailing off of what Zach was talking about a little bit earlier, you know, your experience with Pat, Coach Pat, uh, and kind of the, you mentioned the mental side of it. What do you have like, do you remember how you manage that mentally, how you uh, continue to fight through those challenges of not starting and, and not getting the D1 offer? Because just to say that you love the game and kept on playing, that's, that's great, but there's something else going on there, or is it just baked into you? And the answer is, it's just how I was. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think sometimes, yeah, like what would have happened if I'd done something differently along the way? I, I, I don't know. I feel I was very lucky that I had some great coaches. And I, like I said, mentioned earlier that when I went to Gallagher and Steve Fusion, Steve Funsker, I remember them sending letters to colleges saying, listen, you, got, you, got, you might not know who this kid is, but he's a really good player. He's one of the best players we've ever coached. And I think that helped me. And then going with Pat and then going to these places and um, just starting to believe that that I could do it. Um, I would, and I also, listen, there's no secret, there's no shortcuts. I worked my ass off too. Like yeah. I was playing all the time. Yeah, that's, like, all. <laughs> that's so, where I was gonna go with this, is, is getting in deeper with this this track. We had Caden Glover on, who's homegrown for our St. Louis City, who's 16 years old, who has one appearance with the, the first team. But since he was selected for the academy, has been getting at 5 a.m., uh, working out with his dad, going to the gym. He also gets chased by a lawnmower or dogs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Were there any things, any any activities that you did on your own, Steve? You know, uh, Coach Leonard, Tim Leonard talked about you showing up with 25 balls uh, at, at practices and doing the extra work. Can you talk a little about that? Because you're going down that path about you worked your ass off. It wasn't just showing up at practice time. What were you doing outside, off the pitch, yeah. uh, or after, or before that kind of kept you in the game at a higher level? Yeah, I think it started at home. I was always out in the backyard playing. I mean, I actually listened to Tim, his show, and he talked about my backyard with soccer nets. Mm -hmm. and he, and I, like, he and I, my other friends, we'd be in the backyard playing all the time. And it was especially back in those days when you train Tuesday, Thursday, playing the weekend, like, I was, it's not enough. So I was in my backyard playing with friends and watching the Golay, the 82 World Cup film. And um, <laughs> I also remember when the Budweiser Premier League was out. You guys remember that? The yep. local Budweiser oh, yeah. Premier League. I didn't, I didn't play for like a, a certain team. I would just go out there, and if a team needed players, I would, pl I would ask if they needed somebody to play, and I would play. And I had some, some nights I would play two games in a night. Um, so I was definitely putting the work in. Wow. So moving, moving the timeline along a little bit here after FOPO, you, we have a mutual friend and I just got to ask if this little birdie told me, um, you end up at FIU and you'll tell us the story into that, um, timeline of, of your story here. Um, did you go there without the coach even seeing you play? <laughs> I don't know if he had or not. He, so the story, the story is that I played 
with Gallagher and uh, my teammate Trent Tokus is a good friend of mine. He was already at FIU. And I think he actually spoke to the coach and said, hey, listen, there's this kid back home. He plays on my club team. He's pretty good. You might want to look at him. He's playing at the local junior college. Um, and then the next thing I know, I got a phone call and pretty much, hey, you want to come down and, and visit? And uh, I don't know if he saw me play or not. I, I think his assistant may have seen me one time. Uh, Munga Ekatebi used to come up and, and, uh, and watch some of the – they always had a seamless connection. So I think maybe he had seen me at some point. I don't know. Can you tell us uh, more of the recruiting trip story uh, with Leonard that he couldn't tell us? <laughs> so for me, Tim said, you know, when, when Joey Clark came into his, uh, his family's living room, he, he couldn't do it. Joe Clark could have come to my house with a marching band. I was still going to FIU. Okay. I had a, we, had a, we had a good time down there, and uh, I enjoyed South Beach and Coconut Grove and the experience that we got to have that that recruiting trip. That's awesome. Well, Steve, let me let me ask you this then, because you know you, you talked about uh, your desire, your mental desire to want to play Division One soccer, and then you you have that injury your senior year, you lose the starts, you see, you know in real time, some of it, the opportunities not presenting themselves or, or to a degree, even slipping away, maybe like a 18 year old boy would feel, uh, when you get to that point and FIU reaches out, what was that feeling like? What was the, the moment that you were like, all right, you know, I got it. Or, or did you immediately add another layer? Like, okay, great. This is the next step. Were you, were you looking beyond FIU or were you, super excited that you kind of reached the goal that you had stated earlier. Yeah. So when I, when I went there, you know what, when I was leaving, I, I, I did one year at Forest Park. And at that moment, Pat McBride, I had a conversation with him. Like, listen, I would like to go play. Um, this was great for me. I just feel like I'm, I'm ready for the next step. And he was supportive. And then he actually, cause he's a, he's a St. Louis guy. He's, he went to St. Louis university. I think he tried to push me towards St. Louis university. Um, but I felt for me at that at that moment I wanted something experiencing different. I wanted to go away from from home, um, and maybe a little bit of hey, I was here the whole time. And you didn't want me last year, so a little bit of maybe that as well. But um, getting down to that was great, and he's like, absolutely, go do your thing, and he helped helped ease that transition to FIU. And when I got there, there was nothing beyond college at that moment. There, there might have been like the A the League. There was no Major League Soccer, at least at that moment. It was indoor a little bit and a little bit of the A League. So I wasn't at that moment in my sophomore year thinking about professionally. I was just thinking about going to college and, and, and trying to play here and um, do the best that I can. So I was lucky that when I got there, I, I ended up um, having a good preseason and, and playing playing a lot. So, okay, let's go ahead and then... That, uh, that's really <laughs> humble because playing a lot, he did. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, and I maybe I was misunderstood on my facts about the accolades for goals and assists, and we don't get into the weeds quite a bit in this show, but your sophomore year or your first year at FIU, you I, did you lead the nation in scoring? I think you did. That was did my you, junior year. Junior year, I okay. Do. Wow. So yeah, your, your facts are off, Jerry. My facts it was are the off. next year. <laughs> Way off. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. So, you know, in, we're encapsulating this a little quickly because we're going to move on. To, you have so many things to talk about. Your FIU experience was, suffice to say, a high level one. Um, you then the leagues start to percolate. Talk about that transition out of FIU and what was next because you you weren't anywhere near close to hanging up the boots. What did that transition look like, and what were some of those early doors that opened 
for you? Yeah, so I was really lucky in the sense of like right after my senior year of the season, Major League Soccer began. Right, there's been a lot of great players who were before me who who missed that window. I was really lucky that right after my senior year, it was it was starting. So um, I felt like I had a pretty good college career and resume that there's a good chance I was going to be drafted at least. Um, so during that time, like okay, what's happening? I'm leaving school a semester early to 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 try and play and try this new league. Uh, but at the same time, also having conversations with teams in the A-League and uh, Indoor League as well, because I didn't know if I was going to make it or not, but I was going to get invited. So I went and was drafted um, by the Tampa Bay Mutiny. So actually, I left uh, after the senior season um, at, the, at the January break and came back and played for the St. Louis Ambush for one month. So I got to play for the Ambush, which was <laughs> was a big moment for me, because I, I, like I said, we talked, I, I love those guys, I love the Steamers, and got to play back home and play at the old Kiel Center. Um, so I did that for one month, but the rules at the time were you can only sign two two-week contracts, and then after that you had to sign for the rest of the year. And I said, well, I've done these two two weeks. This is it. I'm, I want to go try and do this new Major League Soccer thing. So ended up going to Tampa and um, and playing there for the, for the next <laughs> six years. So, so then timeline-wise, you would have been in your, uh, let's see here, soft, sophomore year, junior year, uh, 94 World Cup. And you knew part of the deal was going to be MLS. Uh, so did that did that immediately kind of make your college experience more stress packed, uh, or did did you have a new kind of bogey because now you know here's this gift to U.S. soccer that is going to be an outdoor professional league. Whereas, you know, you've listened to the show. We talked to a lot of those guys that, you know, coming out of the late 70s and 80s with the NASL, you know, falling apart, that they wanted to play, but there simply weren't the options. Uh, so indoor is what captured a lot of them. You're in a little bit different boat because that league's coming down. Did did Was that in your head? Did you know that? Did you feel a certain amount of, like, elevated, uh, not privilege, but opportunity coming coming down the pipe? Not necessarily. Not that I recall. I don't remember like, oh man, there's this new big professional league. Because I don't know if I, at the time I would have thought that I was be good enough to do it. So I was just enjoying the moment and playing where we were. Um, maybe maybe my senior year, you know, when when it was getting closer to the launch of the league and a little bit more publicity about it was coming out, that maybe it was a little bit actually having you know agents starting to call. That's when it was like, oh wow, this is real. Like I actually have a chance to do this. That this is this is happening. So, so you, so it does happen. You get drafted to the mutiny. JB had referenced the 94 world cup and arguably the favorites were our South American friends from Columbia and who's on the Tampa Bay mutiny. What did it mean when you leave Florida international in Miami and then you're sitting in the same locker room with Carlos, Carlos Valderrama, who, I mean, how many South American player of the years did he win? Yeah, it was, it was surreal. And, and, I actually we had a poster of him in my dorm room. So like to go have oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And and things also I was in Miami. So Columbia would come and train in Miami oh, quite yeah. a bit. They attended FIU's field. So we would go watch them train. I went watch them play um at Joe Robbie and get down at a national team game. I remember getting a red card when I was in college kicking somebody. Um so then to be in the lock to be in the locker room with them and to play alongside him for a number of years was uh it was incredible. I mean he was 
He's the best player I ever played with. I mean, I'm fortunate. I feel like I've played with some good players, but he was the best. Wow. So, so can you tell us a little story about him in particular? Because obviously you're you're still a young guy. Uh, you, you, you're you you're in the locker room with him. He's got all the pedigree in the world and the most famous hair in soccer ever. Um, <laughs> you know, what what was he like? You know, did you did you have chemistry with him? Did you did you chase him around a little bit? Try to have some uh you know, uh, rum and cokes with him, et cetera. I mean, what, what was, what was that, that like outside of soccer? Yeah. Well, it wasn't rum and cokes. It was aguardiente, which is the Colombian uh -huh. drink. And, yep. and, then he loved, <laughs> he, and he loved Johnny Walker. Um, oh, so, we, but to be fair, there was a little bit of a language barrier at the time. Mm. My Spanish wasn't great. His English wasn't great. Um, we had a great relationship on the field. We weren't hanging out a ton off the field. I was 21 unmarried. He's, 30 something with kids. So like we weren't like hanging out all the time, but we did have a really good group of our team. We all basically lived in the same complex. Um, so we would have team get togethers and he was always there and he was always walking around with this Johnny Walker. And uh, he, <laughs> so you say, you say he was the best player you ever played with. Um, part of it was, I mean, how you could motor on the field and did you ever play with anybody ever that, he could get you the ball in stride perfectly at all times. I mean, I mean, what, what, what luck it was to have that guy right out of the gate for you to do all the work at 21, 22 and just wherever you go, it's on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. He's, so I was lucky. I mean, alongside him, I had a bunch of other great players and, and coaches who were, um, who went on to become professional coaches as well. So I got put in a really good environment. I was really lucky that I, I would end up in Tampa, um, surrounded by so many great players and, and mentors but he was he was the one as far as like like you said i mean i would just pass the ball i didn't i didn't care if he had two or three guys on him because i knew he wasn't gonna lose it i would give him the ball and i would run and i would get it back in a more dangerous position so um wow he was he was unbelievable like he's not a goal scorer he's not going to be a guy who, who runs and covers ground and tackles but he didn't lose the ball and he would create goal scoring opportunities for a team every game so I have to ask, and this is going to go way off the timeline, but we're talking about Miami. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're talking Miami. about, it's yeah, we're Miami. talking about some guy who's really good with the ball. Um, have you been watching? I know you're, you can't say that you like watching Miami cause they're <laughs> a rival now, not a rival, but they're, they're an enemy. <clears throat> but what are your thoughts about Busquets and Alba and Messi, uh, in the MLS now? I think it's great. I mean, it, it puts a, a bigger spotlight on our league, and it happened. I saw when it happened when Beckham came here, right? Yep. I think it, it, bolstered, it bolstered and and helped build the league. And now this is taking it to another level. I think the, the, the attention and, and, like, you're seeing, like, actual celebrities and people following the game and like, who really care about it in the past, they didn't. And I think it's the more that we can grow the sport here in this country, the better. Wow. And, and so he, he, we're, we're going along his timeline here and that, that's a phenomenal answer. And so you're fortunate to play those six years in Tampa with that locker room. We have Pat Noonan on the show. You may have listened, um, good friend of ours. Um, he had referenced specifically his early days in new England that you were involved in, in that locker room and talked about how important that locker room was for his development. So you got these six years of just wonderfulness in Tampa, and then you go in and help cultivate that locker room with those names. I mean, your first walks out of the gate in this league are just out of this world. And, and how much did that just set you up for success? Yeah, it wasn't all roses in Tampa. We had a couple of really good years, and then Carlos left for a little bit, and then he came back, and then we had a, a really bad 
year or two and the team folded. So that, that was that was hard when the team folded. And I, it turned out to be a blessing because I ended up in New England with uh, with a great team and a bunch of my, my best friends in the world now. So, um, but going to New England, a team at the time who had been struggling for a number of years, um, we went there and it was almost like a brand new team, half the team, because Tampa, Miami folded, New England somehow got a bunch of those picks and brought in six new players for the team. Um, Taylor came in that year and uh, we started the season really poorly we, and we were struggling. And then there was a coaching change. We basically had to win, I don't know, six or seven straight games in the season to make the playoffs. And we did. And like, that's kind of when I remember the goal, the game that happened where it's kind of everything just went our way. And we just went on that season. And then for the next eight, nine seasons, kind of continues. Well, to, to go a little Homer on you here, because um, obviously being St. Louis based, this means a lot to us. Um, I'm really curious about the role, uh, the experience, the memories that you have going to New England and having so many, uh, you know, St. Louis bodies um, in the locker room, on the field with you and even within the staff. What did it mean to you being a kid from South County who grew up going, you know, to the Checker Dome and, you know, the knowing the, the, the lore of the SLU championships, everything else, just kind of St. Louis soccer to be there and see so many people that are, you know, you, your backyard buddies? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it makes it always easier when you have that connection with somebody. Um, I was actually the first one there. Taylor came a couple of weeks later. He was he was brought in from from Germany. So I was the, I was the first one there when he came in. He and I instantly clicked and got along really well. And then the following year, uh, or during that season, we, we traded for Brian Kamler, St. Louis guy, yep. uh, Parkway West. And so he was there. And then the next year was Pat Noonan getting drafted, and I think in 03. So then we, we played together for the next, I don't know, eight, eight years, and we all have become super, super close friends. And I think when I look back at it, I, one of my all-time favorite games is a game in New England we beat the Colorado Rapids 6-0, and I had two goals, Pat had two goals, and Taylor had two goals. And I oh. thought that was pretty <laughs> and And he was the first MLS Rookie of the Year, Steve was, and Pat was in the running for Rookie of the Year, right? So, and all those guys were – was Taylor the Rookie of the Year too? He was right there as well. So He would have, he would have been, but he I think because he had gone to Germany, he, he technically had played professionally, okay. so he wasn't a rookie, but he would have been that year. I, think. I mean, um, think about that. Golly, let's no, go. I mean, this is, I think this about is, that stuff all the time, and it drives me crazy. I think about it all the time, and then I – pick up my phone and tweeted a bunch of Kansas City people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we noticed that you're uh, taking a quick swig there. Uh, Got to ask, you're out on the West Coast. You come from the home of a domestic American beer. What are you drinking today, Steve? Yeah, I will say St. Louis will always, always be home, but I've changed a little bit. I've got a, um, <laughs> I've got a Russian River, Plenty of the Elder. Oh, oh yes. West Coast IPA, yeah, it's and it's, uh, it's top beer. Oh. Dude, hammering it. I, will, I do go. There's a little local bar nearby. It's a cash-only kind of place. That late night, every once in a while, I go into, and I do get. I go for the bush bush light there. So. Yeah, oh. he does. Right, well, okay, so you got that in there. Now all you need to convince them of uh, rope provel and pork steaks. And you, hey, I've got. I have Gold Belly a delivery. I don't know if you know what Gold Belly oh, is. Oh yeah. yeah. So I, I got I have my freezer stocked with some Emos pizzas, so I'm okay. <laughs> oh, awesome. you need to. We need to make sure Pat Noonan knows that. Because I'm sure yeah, he does, but his boy does. loves that. Yeah. And 
You know, he's got he his knows. buddy on the West Coast. He well, he, he, I mean, he, he's a skyline guy already. He admitted <laughs> it. Like, I don't get that. Hey, here we go. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to get some refills, and we're going to be right back with some more Soccer Talk with the Mr. Steve Ralston. We'll be right back, everybody. I don't feel the sun's coming out today. Zach here. I love my kids. Really. And when my kids have a knock, a sprain, a tweak, I like to get them back to 100% as soon as possible. I also hate deductibles. I get it. But now, in Missouri, I don't have to waste any unnecessary copay after my child rolls their ankle because now I can go straight to a PT. No more pediatric visits in a germ-infested lobby waiting for permission to go to a physical therapist. Axie's Physical Therapy has 19 locations from Glen Carbon to Winsville and specializes in rehab, especially soccer rehab. So instead of burning a couple of needless hours and cash going to get a referral, take that bump or bruise straight to Axie's. Go to axiespt.com for more info and feel free to Venmo me your half the savings. But there's a ton of IPAs out in California. Yeah, in there? that's, that's like the home. IPAs, yeah. Yeah. You think? Yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, Colorado and California. You know, Steve, I was born um, in San Jose. My dad, oh, wait, really? my dad played football for San Jose State in American football and then uh, went to work for Ford and then transferred to St. Louis. No way. Yep. Huh. So how old would your, would your dad be? Because my orthodontist was a quarterback at San Jose State back in the day. Whoa. My dad's 77. All so, right. um, yeah. Well, the real story is he came out of the womb with a pack of Marlboro Reds and a Bush beer, and uh, the state agencies <laughs> shipped him and his family to no, St. Hold Louis. On, hold on, hold on. So is your orthodontist in that same age range? He's probably early 70s. Okay. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. I got to ask yeah. Pops uh, who was his quarterback. Yeah, well, Dr. Michael Recupino. All right. All right. That's <laughs> Dr. Yeah, write that down. You know what? The Soccer Dad Pod, we are here to make connections across generations. Yep. <laughs> that's that's, that's, awesome. our, that's our tagline. We're going to have to spell that, Steve, uh, later. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, Steve, let's, uh, I want to kind of shift it up a little bit and let's talk, let's talk MLS, uh, today's, uh, today's environment. Um, first off, um, give us kind of an update. You know, you're out, you're out there on the West Coast. You're working with uh, Sa- uh, San Jose, excuse me. Uh, talk about the team. Talk about the current role. You know, how's in, how's season going in your eyes? And we'll kind of snake through these weeds here and and uh, get your take on our team as well. Yeah. So I'm assistant coach with the San Jose Earthquakes. This is kind of my my second term here. I, I spent a number of years here as assistant with Dominic Kinnear. Um Left for two years, came back, um, and last year, kind of during the middle of the season, they had fired their staff and brought me back in as interim. And then this year, they brought a new head coach in, and he kept me on. So um, staying here, working with Luchi Gonzalez, and we're doing okay at the moment. Right now, we're we're in the in the playoff picture at the moment. Um, still a long ways to go, but uh, feel really confident with the group. We have a um, a really good team that we feel like. Uh, we should make the playoffs and make a run. How if you if you had to like um, kind of do a little bit of a compare and contrast uh, from ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, the early days out in Tampa, and even that transition to the early years in New England to to now, 
you know, what would you say is the biggest difference in the league beyond the number of teams that 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 stands out to you right now, uh, be it on the field, be it player type, be it whatever the descriptor is? What's the biggest difference between those early years and 2023? There's a, there's a few things. I think number one is the stadiums, right? We all played in NFL stadiums back then. Now everybody mm-hmm. has a soccer specific stadium but for the most part. Um, New England still is in the NFL and Seattle, but other than that, it's all soccer stadiums, which is, which is fantastic. Because I remember going to our favorite place, Kansas City, playing at Arrowhead <laughs> with, with, nobody, with nobody there, right? I, it's not a great environment. Um, they've done a great job since then. I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they, they, I hate to admit it, they've done a pretty good job <laughs> of turning around from what it was at Arrowhead to what they have now. Um, but all, all, the, all the cities and teams have, have done better. Um, so for me, the stadiums, the players are younger than they, than they were. I was a young guy. I was 21. And the young players are now 16 years old playing. So those two things, um, and sadly, the money the players are making as well, is <laughs> a little bit better now than it was back then, that's for sure. Talk, so let's let's take this one step further then. Let's talk a little bit about the player type uh, because now these these clubs are – vertical machines from first team, the stadium kind of ownership groups that are operating, you know, potentially even a a number of other professional uh, sporting uh, organizations. And then you go down into their two programs and then the academies, you know, and some go all the way down to like U6, U7, and they just build these big, you know, behemoth clubs Um, through that pipeline in conjunction with foreign players in conjunction with the college pathway what what how do you guys what's your guys's take on player development where are you really looking is it a balanced approach or you know where's where's the 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 the, the player pickings coming uh in your world right now yeah from from everywhere i mean like you said it, it, that that part is vastly changed as well right in the old days it was a team you had maybe 20 guys in your roster 18 players you had one coach one assistant a goalie coach one trainer now like the, the staffing alone at the teams is, is humongous right and now you have the second teams on the, the academy like you said so it's grown and developed immensely um our, our process out here we feel like we're in a pretty rich environment as well we have some really good local talent so we have scouts on the ground watching the club the club games and youth national teams and everything else we also the league has changed in the sense that when i first came in the league in 96 i think you're only allowed three international players per team and now that number has grown quite a bit i think it's definitely harder for american players to get on the field because the amount of foreign players in, in the league with the green cards um has, has definitely changed and I, I, I always wonder what would i have gotten on the field uh today like i did back then because of, because of that so um that part's changed we we try to we're trying to to build our, our program up from, from the youth level. We we want the pipe. Everybody wants to be like Philadelphia and these other Dallas, where you you build your academy and you and you bring these kids up and you sell them along for for a bit of money. And um, we we have some good young players right now. We had three three kids playing with the under seventeen national team this last week. Um, so we have some good talent out here. Mostly it's through the club stuff. It's not the high school game out here. Yeah. Well, so um, I, ha- I have a question about um, 
kind of the pathway for you um, as as a father? Did, did you did your kids play uh, soccer as well or other sports competitively? Just they all they all played soccer growing up. I never their thing, and I never tried to make it their thing. I wanted yeah. them to find something their own passion, and they played. And they told me they wanted to quit. I said that's fine, but I would like to do something. Right. So my son played his freshman year of high school. And he said, Dad, I don't really want to play soccer anymore. So I said, okay, it's fine. But I'd like to do something. So he's, he's running track. And he ran track the last two years. And he's actually done pretty well. So um, they all played. But wasn't soccer wasn't their love. wasn't their passion like it was for me. Well, okay. So then my question is, because um, you, you've listened to the show. You've heard some of the debate that we've had. And, and I don't want to get in the weeds on this between club and high school. But, you know, reflecting back to your own path and how – you know, to a degree, you beat a lot of odds to get to the point that you did and accumulate the statistics in, in the career that you've had. Um, when you look at today's environment, it's not, I'm, you know, I know you're going to say it's not impossible. Kids can be found anywhere. But, you know, if you had to give a, a touch of advice to parents that are coming up that have kids that love the game and maybe do excel, not necessarily the one percenters, but go down to like five, six, seven percenters. Do you have any advice as to how to approach this just to manage the expectation work the process or what you might say to a neighbor that you know moves in and says hey steve i hear you know a little bit about soccer how do i do this what would you say to them yeah it's hard because everybody's pathway is different i think majority of it is the one percenters but there's always the outlier of a kid who is a late bloomer or finds a different route i just think the most important thing is just to support your your children and help them along the way and it is like I've been there. It is it's hard for the parents sometimes because it is a huge sacrifice. Like you were spending money, you're spending time commuting, and a lot of times, like the expectation is unrealistic. But I just think that they need to support their children. And I always wanted the kids to have a, a love and appreciation of the game. Like I never expected my kids to be professionals. I just wanted them to make friends and and learn competition and teamwork and all those other things and. If they made it great, and I was going to help them support them along the way. Um, I, I tried to stay out of the way. I mean, I felt like I knew a little bit about the game, but my kids didn't want to hear it from me, right? Because I'm dad. Right. Um, but I don't know the answer. I don't. I mean, I think if I think a lot of it is the kids going to make it. They're going to make it on their own. A lot of times, like you have to have it within yourself and be com- like the competitiveness and desire and to go out and do things on your own and. I don't well, know that, if that's a little bit about what uh, that I'm, I'm being reminded of our conversation with Timmy Leonard the other day, you know, when we asked him about evaluating talent, you know, at these uh, transitional ages that U12, U13 going into the teens, you know, when you're looking for quote it. And he said he led with uh, competitive uh, on the field, you know, and, you know, wanted to win. Um, and speaking of winning, here's a little transition. I'm going to get back to MLS a little bit. Uh, City SC, um, you know, you, you grew up here, you, you're, you're, you're an anchor, you're part of the foundation of St. Louis soccer and will be forever. Uh, what did it mean to you as a St. Louisan who, uh, you know, is, is, is spent, you know, a big, big chunk of his life with the league to see St. Louis win the team, you know, be awarded the team and then fast forward to, you know, early September here. Here we are with that stadium, with this ownership group, with that group of players, 
sitting in first place. Um, what's your take on that uh, from a St. Louis standpoint and then from <laughs> from a PC uh, MLS standpoint? Yeah, so first of all, as a proud St. Louis, and like, I was happy. Like, it was about time that the team was awarded. Um, I'm not surprised at how well the city has embraced them. Um, it didn't really hit me until we actually played there early in the season. And I walked into the stadium. First of all, it was freezing cold. Oh, gosh, there. was it? Oh, that was brutal. <clears throat> it was awful. But I still had the goosebumps. I don't know if it was because of how cold I was or because of the atmosphere and seeing what I was seeing because it, it was it was amazing. Like, the stadium itself was beautiful. The, the crowd and the passion and um, it, the whole experience was – I was I was very proud and I was I was really happy. I thought it was, it was one of the best I'd seen in the league. So it was good, even though they kicked their ass. It was it was <laughs> neat to see. Um, so the team's doing great, and it has been a surprise to be honest to a lot of people because when they first built the roster, there was a lot of players who who weren't superstars from their previous teams, right? Yep. They brought in a few players who a lot of people didn't know about, but they've done an, a tremendous job. They're they're a really good team. They're really hard to play against, and you know they put themselves in a great position right now. A few games left to 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 win the Western Conference. So um, they're 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 a team that teams are not going are not going to play against in the playoffs. Yeah, well said. I, I agree with that. Go ahead, Zach. I just I want to go back to something you said earlier, and you're talking about kind of the your pathway, and you talked earlier in the first half of the show. We were trying to dig out of you kind of what set you apart but you played at FIU after Forest Park played with a lot of great players and you played a lot of, with a lot of great players at, in Tampa Bay and New England and other other places but they didn't do what you did they didn't have the accolades they didn't have the statistics they didn't have you know even the attempts at the championships that you did or even have an opportunity to play and you made a statement you know, looking at the, the, the way the game is today, would you have even made it? Can you think of, and, and maybe you've answered this before, but what do you think gave you an edge that sets you apart from those other guys that you played with at FIU to get you into the draft, to get you to the next level at New England? I'm just curious because I think your story is so, it's not unique, but it is, it is rare. And what you were able to accomplish is pretty impressive, obviously. So do you think there's anything you can point to? That, was it just your work ethic? Was it just the coaching? I'm just, I, I know I've, I'm kind of needling at this one a little bit, but I just, I'm, I'm so curious for your story specifically. I just think it's fear of failure, really. I mean, just like, to, I'd rather, I don't know. I, I, I hate losing. I hate like more of the fear of disappointment of not making it. My dad would always tell me a story growing up of, of, of Luke Garrick and how he, or, how he got that job. You don't let somebody take your, your job. So it was every day it was like going into training, like training because this could be your last day and like never let somebody else have another opportunity. And so always just trying to, to make sure I got better every single day. Well, uh, <clears throat> I, I'm, I, go ahead. Well, I, I, I want to actually lean into that a little bit. You know, you, the competitive nature, um, early years and I'm going to segment this for you uh, early years US national team years and then your later years in the league yep. who on the field whether they were in your own locker room or a competitor who drove you that had that kind of that competitive bone that that mean dog bite 
um, that ins- that maybe inspired you or helped drive you through your career uh, on the field? So in Tampa, I would say it was fear of letting Carlos down because honestly, like he was, he would let you know first of all, like if you weren't playing up to standard, he he was hard on, on the younger players, especially. He would, he would yell at them and stuff. So more fear of like making a mistake and didn't want to disappoint him. Um, Clay Coyman was on that team. He played in the 94 World Cup for the U.S. team. He was captain in Cruz Azul in Mexico. Wow. Um, a good leader and a guy that pushed every day that we needed to get better. And then in, when I went to New England, it became – we were all – like we were a lot of – there was a lot of type A. Like everybody thought that they were the guy and super, super competitive. Every training session there was like you hated to – if you had a game in a training and you lost, like – it sat with you till the next day. If you got another Wells chance, Thompson. Out, yeah. Well, yeah, well, I was, I was Wells, Wells Thompson, Thompson told us this yeah. story when he was there as a young guy with you guys. I mean, he it was hard. I mean, he, you know the the standards that you guys set in that training. I, I mean, Wells Thompson said it perfect. Did he not? Well, he said he was afraid of all you guys. <laughs> he wasn't scared of me. I, I was nice to Wells. I hung out Taylor on the other hand was a little bit harder around than I. Yeah, he had other words for Taylor. Yeah, well, he made me turn the recorder off. So, yeah. well, well, for me, um, you know, now you're coaching, um, and I want to get into the current national team a little bit, and I'll let JB kind of take us down that road. But I want to specifically ask you about one player because, um, as a fan, I'm, I'm extremely excited. And, and the position you played growing up, the position, the position you played early on at Tampa, and then when you first got to New England, the 19 year old that you got in your program, um, Cade Cal. How much fun is it him is coaching him and 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 how exciting is that guy's future? Yeah, I, I love coaching him. So the thing about Caden and I is like we are polar opposites in the way that we play. He is pure just strength and speed and power and just just a man child, right? And oh, like so I was definitely not that player, but I love the fact that I get to coach him yep. and 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 try to help give him tips and things that I felt helped me. Um, but he's got, I mean, he's not, he's, he's a young, still young and he's still like, he's been tied to big European clubs and yep. it's a matter of, it's a matter of time. Yep. Um, but he, he's definitely grown. He's, he needs to take steps. There's parts of his game where he was able to get by at a younger age because he was so just gifted naturally, but now he's learning the game much, much better. Um, defending, and possession-wise, he's gotten gotten much better. But man, when, when he's on the ball and he's driving at you, I don't know if there's anybody as fearful. I mean, if I was a fullback and he's and he's running at me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need some help. That's well, a tough ask. Yeah, can you? Yeah, you, and I, I'm gonna add on to this about him because when I watch him, you know, when you look at when you look at the current roster and you look at the player pool, uh, I'll go up to say the top thirty. Uh, within the national team pool that are, you know, potential first team players. And you look at him, here's what I like about him. And I'm wondering if there's something to it. He seems to have this like sass from the mustache to his just hair, his, his, the cadence, you know, the way he carries chip on his shoulder a little bit. He, He's it, got like what Landon had a little yeah, bit, is, I think. Well, Landon was, all, he just seemed nice about it. Kate, Kate has this thing. Is there a personality there that is, that is kind of the motor behind the skill that is helping drive him to, you know, the successes that we've seen, the skill sets that we see on the field. Is there something more to him that just is a personality that, 
you know, that fans, and I'm asking this from a fan standpoint, he's the kind of guy that I want to like. I want to yeah, like I'm, him a lot. I'm there too. You know, am I or, or am I missing it, or is it just the mustache blew me away? <laughs> no, no, he's he's a determined like he, he's a workhorse. Like the guy, we have to pull him off the field all the time because he wants to do more and do more and do more. Um, he's got a great mindset. Um, he. He's not for me, like you mentioned, Land. I think he's more like a Clint Dempsey. I played with Clint, and I okay. think he has more that, that yeah. chip than than Landon. Um, but he's got a little bit. Yeah, he definitely has personality, and he's got a confidence. Um, at times, like he's still a young kid, so like he's still learning. He still has, you know. There's times where he's, you know, he's going to have moments where it's not always as consistent as we would we would like it to be, but. He's he's definitely he's moving in, in the right direction well, that's for sure. You said that when he has the ball and he's coming at a fullback, you wouldn't want to be that fullback. And it reminded me of that video yesterday. Did you hear that? Geno Smith is a quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, mm-hmm. and Aaron Donald was bearing down on him full speed, and he could he was mic'd up, and he said, "Oh shit." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I shit. think if I'm if I'm a center back and Cade is coming at me full bo- full bore, I better get oh, out of your ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how much how much of an upside does he really have at this point? Like you've been around the game for a long, long time. Does he have that it? Uh, and I'm not even going to ask you that. You know where I'm going with this. You know what's what's kind of the the ceiling potentially with a player like that? Are we are we talking? Um, Premier League top flight? Are we in Spain? You know, where do you where do you think long term? If if you guys can't keep him and you know he's going somewhere, where do you think he fits really well for a good, solid, productive career? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I I don't have a lot of personal experience of, of being in Europe and being around those leagues. I mean, I obviously watched him as a fan. Um, I think he has a lot of potential. It's up to him where this goes he's like i said like he's he is growing he still has a long way to go we i mean he is playing on the u.s national team at, at 19 yeah. years old but he still has a lot to develop in his game to be next level to be like in a premier league team um because yeah, yeah. He, he's he, he's not there in the sense of they're all great athletes over there but he's yeah. but he's a little bit different in some of the things that he can do um, but he definitely needs to develop. I think he can play and he will play in Europe. I don't know what league that will be, um, but well, I think he will. Let me shift this up a little bit broader then because I want to stay in Jared's world of uh, the national team. Um, the roster the other day here in St. Louis it, it appeared on paper to really be what some would argue that's pretty close to the A team. You know, one or two players are not in the mix, but for the most part, super solid team. And then you look at the uh 12 through 18 really 12 up to 25 slots the vast majority of those players from a waiting standpoint are uh european uh, based in europe um and looking at mls and the players that are kind of uh, continuing to make the cut like walker zimmerman and cade etc uh do you think do you think it's right? Do you think that that, that balance is right between the European base players uh, to you know fewer MLS and what does MLS need to do in your opinion to you know move the pendulum a little bit uh, or are they? Is this just going to be what it's going to be for a while when you look at the chemistry of the team today? Yeah, I mean, I want the best players. I don't care what league they're playing in. Um, and to be fair, like okay, yeah, 
Walker Zimmerman or some of the other, other MLS guys are playing MLS. That's not to say they couldn't be in Europe and they could be playing in Europe, a lot of them, right? right? So just because they're not there and on a team in Europe doesn't mean they're not good players. So, but there all there are some there's some amazing players. U.S. U.S. soccer right now is has the some of the best players they've ever had. It's some of the biggest clubs in the world, right? We didn't have that growing when yeah. um, when we were. So the fact that we have so many players in Europe who are developing and growing and getting better is it's going to help for sure. I don't know what the ratio is or what it should be to Europe and an MLS or any MLS. It should all be Europe. I want the best guys, and I think there could be. A handful from MLS as, as well, so uh, I wouldn't close it off and say. I mean, you look at 2002 World Cup, U.S. their their best finish ever. They went to the quarterfinals, lost to Germany, handball should have could have beaten Germany and gone to the semis. Right. I think it was right. about half and half. There's a lot of MLS guys in that team. I know it was a long time ago, and the league has changed, but I still think you can have MLS guys on the U.S. national team. I, I want to go and stretch this a little bit differently, and it might put you into a, a an area of. <clears throat> something you're not as, as versed on, but I I think that you might be, which is data in soccer now. As a coach, um, are you being inundated now with expected goals and statistics, and how is that affecting you as a coach? Yeah, so I live in the Bay Area. Like it's our our, our, our owner. Our owner is the is the Oakland A's owner. Moneyball. Like yeah, it is, a, it is a big part of what we do. It's an important piece to what how they want how they want to 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 do this. So it is it is something that we do we use and we value. Um, there are parts of it that we're still learning about. Sure. Um, so we use it as a reference. We use it to help some decisions but it's not the end-all be-all it's not going to determine how we coach and how we like but it, it does help in, in certain aspects of how we play how we, how we recruit players um and it's it's still at its infancy really in, in soccer terms i don't think it's going to be as easy to do soccer because it's such a moving like so many different parts to it um compared to other sports where i think you can use it a little bit better um but i think it it does add some value um but it's still Hey, if, if we're using data in the game moving forward, will we ever see a short corner again, ever? <laughs> <laughs> Please, God, no. Oh, hey, a lot, of, a lot of teams still use it and still works for some. Oh, man. It's so painful, though. <laughs> Just like that one. We digress. Um, Listen, I'm from, I'm from that school of thought, too. Like, you have, a free, you have a free ball to put it in the box? Like, put it in the box. You, know, you, you have, like... Too many things can go wrong playing a short one. Like I like to namely the counter or namely the ball never ends up in the box. And like then the percentages or, are zero. Or this one's my favorite, a lack offsides. of soccer IQ and the guy that gets it back is offsides. Exactly. That's <laughs> that's what happens in the I mean, game that is my favorite thing of a game <laughs> in the flow of a game ever. Uh so Steve, let me let me ask you this. Uh one last question regarding the current US national team. Uh who stands out for you? Who who as as a fan of the game? Who do you who do you just watch and 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 you like to they see have them to be on, on the, field. the field? Yeah, um, that's tough. I mean, as a homer, I'll say Tim Ream. Tim's done a great job. Um, <laughs> honestly, like he he was written off before last World Cup, and I thought he was one of the best players we had there. So I'm happy to Without see that question. he did that. But I I really like Yunus Musa. I think he's he's a, a top player. Like he's just the ground that he covers and the way that he can drive with the ball, 
Christian and Timothy Wea. There's a lot of good players, man. I don't know if I have one specific one that I can pick out um, as my my all-time favorite, um, but I'm I'm a fan of the team, and I hope that they do, they do well. I'm excited for the World Cup to come here. I didn't get to go to any games in '94, so I'm hoping that I'll get a chance. And I think that the U.S. has a chance to. I would hope to maybe you know at least get to the quarterfinals. So um, we'll that's see. good. So second, then on, in, in your national team career. Who was the one player that you played with that had to be on the field? Yeah. Ooh. See, that's tough because I felt like I was I was fortunate that I had my first cap when I was like 21. So I got the old old regime of mm-hmm. like Abramos and Eric Winalda and those guys. And they were, those two guys were were amazing. And then at the end of my career, I got to see I got to play with, you know, I played with Landon quite a bit and Clint, Clint Dempsey. Clint was mm-hmm. my teammate in New England. Um I would say Claudio was really good too, but yeah, it's your ride or die desert Island. You got to pick one, you know, you provide the Budweiser's who, who, who's your guy. We're going to, we're going to hold your feet to the fire there. It's got to be Taylor or Pat, right? Because, (laughs) because we were, I mean, I, Taylor and I were super, super close for, we still are, but we were, we were like, we were roommates on the road with the revolution we were roommates on the road with the national team we were like we were we were really 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 tight good good buddies so i'd have to go with taylor pat's right there as well taylor and i hung out more off the field than pat and i did the time because pat was younger and single and doing his thing um so i would say those two and then obviously have a great relationship with brad davis as well we didn't talk about brad but i coached brad in houston so got to got to be close close with, mm-hmm. with, with I'm, I'm gonna have to say um Oh, it's tough because if I say Taylor on Deserted Island, he's going to drive me crazy because he's. <laughs> well, has, has he had you on his podcast yet? No, not yet. Well, there I, you go. Yeah, we were first. Either, we, so, yeah. Hey, we're looking out for you, Steve. <laughs> hey, man, we've uh, I, I we've taken up a lot of your time and this has been a lot of fun. Um, we could go on and on because you you literally have uh, decades of info and, and stories. Uh, we appreciate your time, you guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just scratched the surface, and and your humility is uh, it, it, it's it's infectious. Hopefully, for your team and the, the kids coming up, like Cade, uh, because I think we could use a little of ego reduction therapy, as Jared <laughs> and I talked about earlier. Um, but it's so nice to meet you, Steve, and and um, we're so happy for your success and continued success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd like to see you as the main guy on an MLS sideline um, and, get, and you get that opportunity one day if that's what you want because I think you could bring a lot of value to a uh, to a city and to a club. Keep stacking it up, guys like you and Pat. Before you know it, you know, we'll just have St. Louis guys up and down <laughs> the staffs, man. Well, oh, see I- I appreciate it, guys. It's been it's been a pleasure. Like I said, I'm a, I'm 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 a fan first of all of the show. So um, keep doing what you guys are doing as well. Well, thank you very much, thank you. and uh, we will be in touch. Uh, we, obviously, when you come back in town, because we, we assume you probably sneak through here every Playoffs now and then. Be, I mean, uh, that could be a possibility. Oh yeah. oh yeah, can you imagine a little playoff action One, here? Yeah. Fun. We 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 got you. We'll uh, we'll make sure and import some California IPAs for you. I can I can stick <laughs> the local stuff. I can put take a natural out. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, hey, we're going to roll out of here. Thank you for your time. Best of luck with the rest of the season. We'll be in touch. Uh, Jared, thank you, as always. It's been fun. Your 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 presence has been welcomed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you check the stat game a little bit. 
I, that's, that's okay. okay. I mean, but they were true. They were just the timeline. Was wrong. That's, that's okay. Good. That's okay. No, it's good. Hey, but, yeah. 50% right. It's all good. That's all good. Hey, thank you. Axis, uh, physical therapy, axispt.com for the support. Bill and Chris, you guys rock, uh, Crescent plumbing supply. Thank you for saving marriages and keeping people on budget. Keep doing what you do. Uh, Give us a follow. Give us a like. All that stuff, too, because, you, again, nobody's sending us beer money yet. Thanks to the pitch, our venue today. Oh, yeah, yeah yes, the Pitch Athletic Tavern in St. Louis. Check it out. All right, guys. Union Station. Till next time, we're out.